Legally Blonde, Suits, My Cousin Vinny. All badass lawyers, all different. Which begs the question, what type of lawyer do you want to be? Don't waste another second thinking, ugh, I don't even know what types of lawyers there are. Trust us, we've been there. Let's put a stop to that once and for all. Go take the 90-second quiz from new lawyer now what coach Angela Vorpal to give yourself a clear picture of the best fit type law for you. Go to www.whattypeoflawyerquiz.com and take the quiz today. Once you've taken the quiz, send us a DM on Instagram to let us know what type of lawyer you got. We can't wait to hear. Welcome back to Ladies Who Law School podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Haley. Um, to start off, just want to thank everybody for the great response we got on our last two episodes. Yes, the positive and constructive feedback is super helpful. And it truly helps us, guys. Like, we can't thank you guys enough for letting us know what you want to hear and how we can best help you guys because we are here to create better content for y'all and the law school realm and help everyone understand better what's going on. Yep. Okay, so today we're going to talk about context to law school. I think that there have been some feedback with our last two episodes telling us essentially that we talk about a lot of things that maybe people don't understand that aren't in law school. And obviously this podcast is for people who aren't in law school yet, maybe taking the LSAT or just people who are getting ready to start law school or in law school. So, you know, if you are in law school, you're probably going to know a lot of these things we're going to talk about today, but maybe we'll teach you something new. And if not, if you are our family or friends that aren't in law school out there just listening to us, this is for you guys because we wanted to, you know, let you guys know what's going on and what everything that we, you know, reference and use acronyms are about. So the idea is that no one likes an inside joke that you can't be a part of, right? So we're trying to bring you guys in here and, you know, debunk these myths and let you know what's going on and what we do every day. I know that when I was coming into law school, there's a lot of things that I didn't know. And like, even yesterday we had someone ask us like, what does this mean? And it's one of the topics that we're going to mention today. So there's still people in law school who still don't know what some of this stuff means. Yeah. And like you're learning every day, you know, acronyms, you you see these and you're like, what? And then whenever someone tells you, you're like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. So now let's just dive right in, Samantha. Why don't you uh, tell them what one of our first acronyms are? So we're going to kind of go in order from applying to being in law school and then kind of miscellaneous key terms. So to start off, we're going to talk about the LSAT. It's the first thing that you should really worry about when applying to law school. It's Mm -hmm. probably one of the most important parts of your application. What does that stand for? LSAT is the law school admissions test. Um, And we will link below the website LSAC. That's with a C, not Mm -hmm. a T. Um, That's where you go to register for it. So once you register for it, you start taking practice tests. It's a logic-based test. And um, eventually you take the test. You get a score from 120 to 180, 180 being 
almost perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and that score is going to be sent to the law schools that you apply to. Through LSAC. Through LSAC. Mm-hmm. And LSAC will kind of tell you what scores can get you into different schools. So once you take your initial practice test, it kind of gives you an idea of like where you could possibly get in. And then you can start training. And I know a lot of people use that part of the website to figure out where to apply. And like she said, where you can get in. I definitely did that. I knew I wanted to stay in a close realm to Dallas area. And I was looking at all the schools in Texas that were close by. And that's how I found Oklahoma City. And so, I mean, I've had multiple people tell me, like, once you get your LSAT score, get on there and see where you can get in. See where you have your best chances. I mean, it'll tell you even to Yale that I had, you know, point. 0.01% Zero zero one percent chance, like something like <laughs> that, you know. But it's like point zero 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 one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it'll tell you every school, but you can obviously scroll down and and you can sort it by the schools with the best percentage, and you know, in the location, you can do it by anything. Mm-hmm. It's really helpful. So definitely, once you sign up to take the LSAT. Focus on studying for it, of course, first, but then move into once you get that score back, getting on the LSAC website. That's where you're going to apply to law schools. That's where you're going to submit your information, your other part of the application process that we're going to dive into next. That's where you'll submit it all. So if you are thinking about going to law school, that would be one of my first things that I would tell you to do would be to go ahead and get on that website, sign up register to take your LSAT, whether it's in a few months or six months. Also, I had someone ask me, you know, when should I take the LSAT? And I think the sooner the better. I personally waited too long. I didn't give myself enough time. I thought it would be a three-month study test. I think it's definitely six months. And if you're going to take it again, you need a good time in between. So, you know, just keep all that in mind as you head into the LSAT website and the LSAT process. And there's a lot of different ways you can study for the LSAT. Um, I know I use the PowerScore Bibles, and my boyfriend used like the free version of Khan Academy. So there's a lot of different. Yeah, resources. and I went to a class. So yeah, so yeah. you can self-study, take a class, online classes. Like there's a lot of different ways. It's just based also like where you live. Like I lived in Dallas, and there was a class right down the street from where I lived. You know where. John lives, your boyfriend. I mean, it makes sense that, and also too, he was working, you know, it's not like you have the money to dish out for a class. Classes aren't cheap. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I definitely think that there are tons of ways you can do it. It's all about you and the person studying. And how you learn. Yeah. And how you learn. That's a good point. Because I think sometimes we're like, oh my gosh, you know, so-and-so's doing this. Like I should do this too. And it's like, no, take a step back and really think about it and think like, okay, how do I learn? I think that's all about law school too. Mm -hmm. I think that's the first semester we learned that like, how do you learn? How do you learn best? When do you know that you know the information? I think that that's, this is, and that's what the LSAT's for. It starts that out at the beginning of you, of your law school career. And it tells you like, okay, this is going to be hard. How do you learn? How do you get back up? And that's essentially, it's this very small window into what law school will be like. The next part of the application is going to be a resume. Mm -hmm. And many of y'all probably know what a resume is. Um, it's basically just all about you, what mm-hmm. you've done, your education. For law school um, resumes, I was told that they really want to focus in on volunteer experience, internships, um, academic extracurriculars, st- clubs. They want to see that you're well-rounded, that you participated in a lot. So not you don't necessarily need like 10 jobs on there because mm-hmm. they really focus in on other parts. It's not a work 
resume. This is an academic resume. You yeah, know? definitely. And then we have a really important part of the law school application is the personal statement. I think that this is probably the biggest part of the application. It tells you them, the applicant, the, excuse me, the admissions, why you want to be there, why you want to go to law school. It's kind of funny whenever me and my friends, including Samantha, talked about why we came to law school. I mean, you pretty much resort back to your personal statement. I mean, it's just, it's ingrained in you. I think it's important to know why you want to do it and why you're going to put yourself in this honestly hard, hard position. So make sure you get those looked at by multiple people. I know I had four or five drafts of mine um, I had multiple, multiple people. And I really do think that that's what, um, got me into law school was my personal statement. So I agree. And also there's no right way to do the personal statement. Some people like to talk about why they want to go to law school. You can do that. Some people talk about a personal experience that they've mm-hmm. had that shaped them into the person they are. And, um, and that's probably why you want to go to law school. Exactly. Yeah. Like, so I didn't really write about how I wanted to be a lawyer, but more like how, certain experiences made me think that I wanted life to be more just. Yeah. And I felt like that's probably what got me into. Yeah. They want you to be personal, but not too personal, but you know, there's a fine line and you can attempt to kind of cross it with being super vulnerable and they want to make sure you're human too, you know? Yeah. And I think it's also really important to be truthful in a sense and, you know, like she said, be vulnerable and like let them know why you're willing to put all this on the line. Next up are recommendation letters, which are really important. For law school, they really prefer like a professor or a former employer mm-hmm. to do your recommendation letters. So if you're still in college right now, I would totally recommend forming a relationship with one or two professors or more. Mm-hmm. Um, and make sure there are people that can vouch for you and really know you well because there's horror stories of people finding out that they might have not gotten the best recommendation from somebody and you wouldn't want to risk that of course I think the way I prefaced it well obviously I didn't use teachers because I was working so I used my boss multiple bosses that I had and I told them like this is my letter to get into law school like I would really appreciate positive feedback I read that somewhere like tell them what you want Mm -hmm. I think that's important in the legal field as well like tell the judge what you want we've heard that multiple times so tell the person writing you this rec letter hey I need this to get into law school it's super important they really value what you say about me I really appreciate your help and I think that that will they'll tell you like no I can't help you like they will usually if they cannot do it for you and they know because they they know they can't say yes and that you're a good person, they're going to tell you. So just go into it that way so you don't have any surprises because, like she said, that could be the worst-case scenario. And I think that rec letters are easy. They just submit them right on LSAC. So -hmm. you just send them a link, and they just submit it right there, and it goes to their email. And actually, that's not true. I had one professor write me one and two bosses. So, you know, even if it's a few years ago that the professor reach out to them, tell them what you're doing. They kind of want to know like why you're wanting to go. So maybe have your personal statement ready so that you can show that to them, especially if you haven't talked to them in a while. Um, but yeah, I think that rec letters is something I would start early so that it gives them time to get them done. And it lets you know on the LSAC website, like, hi, so-and-so submitted their letter. It's ready to go. And I would recommend asking three, maybe at most two months in advance, Um, just because they have lives too. 
they're not thinking about your rec letter 24 seven. So I know for my professor that I, cause I had an employer and then a professor, I had to really nudge him and I got it about a week before it was due Mm -hmm. when I asked him to have it a month in advance. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to remember to, it's okay to ask. It's your, you know, application. I mean, I really do think like from when you start the process, like I would ask them because they can submit it anytime. Mm -hmm. And even if you don't have your full personal statement together, like if you just have a draft, that's good enough. Just send it to them. Like they're not your admissions counsel trying to decide if you should go into law school or not. So just, you know, tell them a little bit of why you want to go to law school and send that over and give them, like she said, a month or two months and you'll see them submit and don't be afraid to remind them and let them know like, Hey, the deadline's coming up. I really could use that as soon as possible. Like always follow through. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that our generation makes is not following through and being too scared to, Oh, I don't want to offend them and like tell them like, no, some people forget they have their lives going on. So let them know when your deadline is. And like she said, be be proactive and have something ready so that you're not falling behind. Yep. Um, another part is a diversity statement. Well, not every school even has the option to do a diversity statement. And it when there is the option, it's completely optional. You don't mm-hmm. have to write one. But I really do recommend that if there's anything that you think is diverse about you um, in any aspect, go ahead and write a little short one-page diversity statement about yourself. It helps the admissions committee know a little bit more about you personally and they can kind of picture who you are and how you would fit into the diversity of the law school as well. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back. Hey guys, we want to take a moment to talk about something that has been a game changer for us busy lawyers, Audible. Yes, Audible has been our go-to platform for incredible audiobooks, offering an extensive library of thrillers, nonfiction, autobiographies, and mysteries. And guess what? We've got a special treat for you. Audible is offering a free trial to our listeners, and all you need to do is check the link in the show notes. It's the perfect opportunity to experience the magic of audiobooks without spending a dime. Speaking of thrillers, I know you are currently hooked on Never Lie by Frieda McFadden. Samantha, can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. The twists and turns in Never Lie have kept me on the edge of my seat during the workday and even when I'm on my daily walks. It's like having a suspenseful companion wherever I go. And for those looking for some financial wisdom, I have been engrossed in My Money, My Way by Kamuku Love. It's packed with practical advice on managing finances, perfect for anyone trying to navigate the complexities of money management. What we love most is the flexibility Audible offers. As lawyers, our schedules can be unpredictable, but with Audible, we can enjoy our favorite books on the go, whether we're stuck in traffic, hitting the gym, or waiting for a court hearing. So if you're ready to embark on a literary journey and discover the joys of audiobooks, click the link in the show notes to start your free trial with Audible. Trust us, you won't want to miss out on this fantastic offer. Yeah, obviously I didn't um, write a diversity statement. Um, I know you did, Samantha. So like she said, it's completely optional. It obviously didn't affect us either way. So I think it's just a better look into who you are. I mean, these people have never met you. You're going against 
multiple other people. So the more you can let them know about yourself and be, like I said, vulnerable and truthful and open with them, there's nothing you can lose. So now we're going to talk, we talked a lot about the application process. Um, I'm sure that will be helpful for a lot of you guys. Some of you are like, uh, but now we're going to dive into the real fun stuff. The law school classes that we take, we use a lot of acronyms for those. So we're going to give you, you know, a basis of what it is, how it works in to the grand scheme of things and kind of like the keywords that we use with it in the acronyms. Um, I think the most important thing to know when you're about to go into your first week of law school um, or even if you're doing some reading ahead during the summer before your first year of law school or whatever it may be, you need to know the difference between the plaintiff and the defendant. Um, first week of school, um, we start, the 1Ls start a little bit before everybody else. And there were some people who did not know the difference between a plaintiff and a defendant. Mm-hmm. And you, if you're going to get cold called on, in the, on the first week, because it happens, mm-hmm. you know, people get cold called on the first day. You really want to make sure that you know the difference between the plaintiff and the defendant because it changes the whole case if you get it yeah, wrong. for sure. <laughs> and, I mean, it's just going to become second second hand to, or, you know, it's second nature, shall I say, to talk about the plaintiff, plaintiff and the defendant. That's You're either on one side or the other. So, yeah, so the P is the plaintiff and the D is the defendant. Sometimes you see a triangle as the D. Which is the delta symbol. Delta symbol and... The pi symbol. The pi symbol, yes, for plaintiff. So just as you... I mean, as soon as you hit the ground running, they just throw you in. You know, even when we had our legal analysis week, we went ahead and started talking about cases and things like that. We were talking about nuisance, which we aren't even learning until this semester. But it was funny because... Yeah, she's very right. Like, some people didn't understand. There were even things I didn't understand. I didn't even know how to say things. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh, am I so behind? But, I mean, it's all a learning process. You're learning a new language. That's what I tell people. It's like learning Spanish or French or whatever, but it's legal. And there's just things that you're not going to know right off the bat unless you've been exposed to this your entire life, which there will be people who have been exposed to this their entire life. And it's intimidating because you're like, oh my gosh, they know everything. Mm-hmm. They know what a tort is, and I don't. Help. I know? had no idea what a tort was. I mean, I had looked it up a little bit before. I was like, oh, it looks like it's personal injury. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, like PI? Yeah, yeah, like I I didn't even know until I got there on the first day. Yeah, and it's funny because my parents also asked me that before I even went to law school. Like, what is a tort? And I was like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> But a tort is essentially an injury caused by negligence. Funny story about that. I'll tell you in a second. Uh, By negligence or wrongful act of another person, which cannot be classified as a breach of contract. Okay, breach of contract, obviously that goes in hand in hand with contract. But negligence, that's a huge thing and part of torts. So funny story. Um, Back to whenever we were in our first week. We were talking about nuisance and I was so excited and just like giddy and started reading some stuff to my parents and my mom's like, what did you just say? And I was like, um, I don't even know how I said it to be honest, but I essentially butchered negligence. I'm pretty sure I said like negligent. I don't even know. I can't even (laughs) say it because I'm trying to say it right, you know, but my mom's like, oh my God, ha. And I can just like, I obviously she's on the phone, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, I'm an idiot. Oh my God, my mom thinks I'm an idiot. Like everyone thinks I'm an idiot. Help, you know? And so it's just funny from that point forward, I never forgot how to say negligence. I can't even tell you how I said it then now because it's like ingrained in my memory. But that's like the prime example. You just learn these things as you go along and 
you know, we've all been caught in situations where we say things wrong and it's embarrassing, but you just like self-deprecating humor. You just laugh at yourself and move on, you know? That was definitely one of them. I'm glad it wasn't in class and it was with my mother, but yeah. So negligence is a huge part of torts. Wrongful acts, it's essentially just torts is about money and getting compensated compensated for someone's fault. Essentially, it's all about faults. It's a civil act, so it's going to be based on money. You're not going to send anyone to jail for a tort. Um, I'd like to describe negligence as you see it every day, and that's what people always say, is people doing, you know things and just not cleaning up after themselves or not picking up things or not essentially thinking about the world around them or like um slip and fall cases yes exactly not cleaning up what you're doing what you what you spilled because you're too busy and then some old guy just you know slips breaks his hip yeah you've seen at walmart you see that's why there are the signs that say slippery be careful because they're trying to protect themselves from liability so it's really interesting i think that tort cases are something that so many people deal with every day but like we both said no one knew what a tort was so i think it's really funny to just like tell you guys you know so that's torts for you in a nutshell um the next class we're going to talk about is civil procedure yes commonly known as civ pro yes and i had no idea what civil procedure was anyway i thought it was going to be more about how to be in trial and like how to do that stuff i had no clue i just didn't even look i didn't even bother to look it up yeah. um because i think yeah i didn't yeah I, I didn't really know until we got into class and then we started seeing like 12b motions okay well obviously like, it's civil procedure so if you just use your context clues you know it's gonna be civil law and how you do mm-hmm. civil law so exactly what you're saying like trial but there's so many aspects that, that go into it that we didn't even obviously think about and i think that though that's okay if you're going into law school if you're not in law school i'm gonna let you know a little secret everyone's horrified of civil procedure and at first before the semester (laughs) still yeah and but i think it's funny because before we took our exam i think i was like okay i can get i can do this i understand it but it's so deeper than you think and unless you truly grasp the weeds of the concepts and get under there and see everything you're not really gonna be able to analyze the arguments and it's a class that you could probably learn all three years, honestly. So for it to be in one year is very intimidating. And I think that we are learning, like you said, there's a small percentage of the class that is about trial. But there is so much that goes on before trial. Yeah, it's basically the rules and standards that the court uses. Mm-hmm. And it's the process of how a lawsuit comes about. Yeah. Pretty much. From the beginning to the From end. From the beginning, all through, you know, complaints and then trial and then motions and jurisdiction. And you just learn essentially about every part of the trial. You know, we and sadly, I can't tell you as much because we've only gotten to where you submit the documents and what goes into those documents and things like that. But it goes even into discovery, um, the trial and to you know join in a claim and class action so we will learn all that the rest of the semester so if anyone has any questions you let us know and we'll try and find some answers for you yeah um one of the most important classes that you'll be taking in your first year is legal research and writing yeah so legal research and writing is basically focusing on research 
writing, obviously, and mostly learning how to cite in your writing and how to come up with these documents that we do submit to the court. Exactly. So um, the research part is when we learn how to go on Lexis or Westlaw. Those are two search engines for case law and statutes and basically anything legal. Yeah. And use that to know what you need to put in your memos, appellate brief, trial brief, whatever you're writing. Um, And it's really important to know how to use these two search engines, partly because if you want to have good work, you're going to have to know how to find your sources. Exactly. Research. Yep. If you are not good at research and don't learn to the best of your ability to research with these sources it's going to be hard it's going to be really hard because you're going to you're going to find cases and be like how how am i going to relate this to my facts well you should have learned how to research a little better yeah and research to your facts what you're learning in legal research and writing commonly known as lrw is how to produce like she said those documents that you're going to submit to the court and what you put in them is what you're learning in every other class so it's like oh my gosh this class is so important this is more like the application of what you're learning of life life as a lawyer i mean your whole life as a lawyer like you said is going to be writing and researching and making sure these documents are supporting your side of the argument. And, and being able to brief, quickly brief a case on the computer. That's key for number one. Quickly brief a case on the computer and then be like, okay, no, doesn't go with my facts. Yep, goes with my facts. Put it in the yes, put it in the no. And it's also really interesting too, um, as I've started to look for jobs, I've heard multiple people say like, yeah, all my intern does is research. All he or she does is research for me. And it makes sense because that is the most time-consuming part. I know whenever we were writing our paper, we would sit there for hours looking for what we needed. So as an intern, as a volunteer intern for your summers, you're going to be doing a lot of research. Even probably if you're getting paid at a firm, you're probably going to be doing research for your attorney. So, oh man, I just, I mean, I didn't pay enough attention. I wish I would have. I can't say that enough that it's the most important class. Yeah. And there's a debate between Lexis and Westlaw, like which one is better. Both of them do the same thing. Personally, I like Westlaw better. It's just a little easier for me to navigate and I understand it. Yeah. And I think it comes down to like people will come to your school and teach you how to use the search engine. So they'll have like a Lexis rep or Westlaw rep. And I think that it comes down to, to which one, one you pay more attention to, two, everyone has their own choice of aesthetically pleasing like Westlaw just works for me and for you obviously as well and I can just see it I'm like oh statutes got it clicking Mm -hmm. that you know and uh, Lexus is a little more confusing for me so you know everyone works different I know your boyfriend loves uh, Lexus Lexus, but I think he's starting to jump on the Westlaw bandwagon and I think it's because of us too because we're like bro we didn't look it up on Lexus you know and he's like oh okay I guess we'll go to Westlaw so I think it's one of those (laughs) things here it probably boils down to like what your group's using like where what these people, people are your using classes are using. Yeah, your teacher. I think that's another thing. My teacher uses Westlaw. Yeah, same. So and and also Lexus has other things to offer, you know. Like points. Yeah, well, points for prizes. Yeah, but also I think about remember whenever we did those citation exercises. And that's mm-hmm. a huge part of LRW. And I think that they have they've caveated themselves to fit into other aspects of the law school career so that they aren't forgotten about, you know. Yeah. Not that I don't love Lexus. I love them both. But you know. We have our preferences. Yeah. That's it. I think everyone does. 
Um, another important part of LRW, which probably your first semester for most people, or your second semester, depending on how yeah, you do LRW, every yeah. school's different, um, you're going to be looking at this little book called The Blue Book a lot. Mm-hmm. So the Blue Book is a guide that teaches you how to cite different sources, yep. from cases to magazine articles to statutes. Anywhere you get your information. Yeah. I, I mean, if you can think of something that's published, it's probably in the Blue Book, and there's a way to cite it. Even internet websites. Like, that was one of our options on yep. our tests. Yeah. Literally anything. Uh-huh. <laughs> the Blue Book definitely centers around citations and how the legal format wants them cited. Mm-hmm. Which, and you're like, okay, well, when am I going to use that? In your briefs to tell the court what you want in those documents, just like we've been talking about, but also in, um, in law review. So law review is a publisher of their research and work and students are asked to write law review notes for the law review. And so if you get on there before you get published, it has to be perfect. Of course, we don't do anything that's different. <laughs> and yes, your citations are going to have to be perfect. Yes. And there's no like input service online where you can just copy and paste. Listen, undergrad really messes you up yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, so the more you practice blue booking, the better, better you'll get. And it'll come naturally to you one day over time just just like the same language you know learning the language it'll come naturally if you don't want to be the guy at the firm or at the office or at the da's office that's like god this guy can't cite worth the crap like what are we gonna do with him you know you don't want to be that person so listen learn you get to keep your blue book if you buy it buy it that's my recommendation tab it yeah tab it i mean we had a blue book exam for crying out loud like our head of our department was like, listen, I want my graduates coming from here to be really good freaking writers. So he is determined to make us that, which is super helpful. I think, you know, just like your teacher went to Yale and they didn't even talk about the blue book and he read the whole thing. That's Mm -hmm. insane to me. Reading the blue book. It's like, yeah, he read it for fun and he didn't have to, but but that's, he didn't know how else to learn it. No one was talking about it. He's like, oh, there's this book sitting here. Maybe I should check it out. And then, <laughs> little, you know, later. Leisurely reading. Yeah. And, I mean, he was on Law Review. He yeah. all, like, it was very, very smart man. But it's pretty funny. You know, you don't want to be the one reading the blue book before your exam. That would be horrible. So just try and learn it. Like I was saying on Lexus, there's exercises. Our teacher made us do them. I mean, go look for your own work if your teacher isn't super diligent on making you I learn mean, it. If, if your school offers Lexus, um, it should come like you should be able to click on yeah citation, citation exercise. exercises yeah. and just do it yeah because it's a really great skill to have I know and we we practice those before our tests too yeah. so that was really helpful so back to one of our favorite classes yes our favorite <laughs> with our <laughs> I'm just kidding I, contracts is we're gonna talk about contracts <laughs> it's definitely one of those classes where it's so relevant in everyday life and yeah so. Contracts pretty much entails anything and everything. Why don't you about a contract? Yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit, like so deep dive into it. Contracts really focuses in on like the formation of a contract, what goes in a contract, how what to, must go yeah, in a contract, what must, go, what must go in a contract, and then breaches contracts that may not even have formed in the first place. If you make a deal with somebody and you don't write it down, you just say it out loud, like, what is that? Yeah. Um, so there's a bunch of different little parts of contracts, which I'm sure if you're not in law school yet, you think a contract is like, oh, a little document that you write up and you sign it. Or you accepting the terms and conditions, yeah. you know? And it is so much deeper than that. 
And I think whenever you hear the difference between transactional and litigation, this is where this comes into play. So transactional work would be the beginning of the contract. So where you might, for instance, work for ExxonMobil and you're writing up contracts to franchise out. I don't know if that's what they do, but franchise out their name for the gas stations, right? That's going to be the beginning. If, if you as a transactional attorney miss anything from the beginning, that is going to end up being litigated at the end. And that is someone else's job. Does that make sense? So there's a lot of work to go in at the beginning and yeah. people get upset whenever the work isn't done. And I think that it's, you have to be a proactive thinker to be a transactional contracts attorney. I think you have to think ahead. Yeah. I mean, you have to see the forest for the trees and you really have to be like, well, this could happen. And almost kind of a pessimist in the sense too of like, well, anything bad that could possibly happen, you you're going to have to think have it something up. in there that's going to prevent it from happening and protect or your business. If it does happen, yeah, protecting your business or individual or whatever you're doing, whoever you're representing, yep. right? Whoever you're making this contract for, whether, you know, and you might be reviewing a lease for, uh, a buddy of yours once you're out of law school and you're thinking to yourself like oh there's some things missing that's transactional work and that's you to say like hey man you need to add this in there because this needs to protect you that would be the idea of protecting the uh person versus the business so one of my favorite classes this semester so far i heard it gets really hard but mm-hmm. right now it's my favorite would be property really yes let me say that I just think it's very easy to understand right yeah, now. I, agree. I like how you can kind of draw it out mm-hmm. and give yourself a visual because I'm very into visuals. Um, yeah. That's how I learn. I think that, yeah, I think that's how most of us are. Yeah. I mean, me and you and mm-hmm. our group, yeah. So just the fact that you can map it out really helps me understand it. Yeah. So property talks about ownership, mm-hmm. tenancy, mm-hmm. Um, there's personal property. Um, which is what somebody would have, like land. Yeah. And then there's uh, intangible property, which could be a copyright, a patent. Um, trademark. Any, yeah, trademark, something that, you know. Which is also commonly known as IP, intellectual property, which is a huge, huge realm for legal scholars to want to tap into. So... We are not touching on that this semester. That is a whole class on its own. But we are mostly focusing on real property, land, things that you can hold in your hand. Boundary lines. Boundaries. Yeah, we focus a lot on boundary lines. We focus mostly on real property. So land and how that all comes into play and all the, once again, caveats that go into that. And possession. That's a big thing we're learning. And I think that kind of comes into, like, if you have something and you give it, you know. Yeah. So to someone else, what so happens? Even gifting is part of property. Yes, so exactly. What what it means to give somebody something. Like, if I gave my laptop to Haley, like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know? So that's what we'll be doing this semester. Like I said, we're only a month in, so we don't know anything. Yeah, we just but. know the literal basics. I think that's something, too, to remember um, for any of my future law students out there. Whenever they tell you to outline the beginning, you're you're gonna be outline. <laughs> you're gonna be overwhelmed and be like, "Am I doing this right? Am I putting this on there?" Yes, the first month is like the introduction into every class, but then as soon as that's over, you need that groundwork just to understand the basics of what's about to hit you hard. And then after that, once you get into chapter two, chapter three of the book, or so on you're going to be running. So I think it's important, like for us right now, we learned the difference between real property and tangible 
property. And she told us right off the bat, we're not going to talk about this. That's a whole nother class. We're going to be focusing on this. And when you hear that, it almost makes you kind of like choke up a little because you're like, oh my God, we're talking about one subject this entire semester. I can't even imagine how many rules there are that go along with this. So yeah, we've already learned about gifting, gifting property, gifting items, you know, get tangible property essentially is what essentially what I think we're talking about this semester. And, you know, like she said, and you're probably thinking, well, what does it matter if Samantha just gives you your laptop? Like it doesn't matter. Okay. Sorry about this. What if you die? And then your mom wants your laptop, but I said, you gave it to me. It's going to be awkward and it's going to, she could sue me. So, you know, and you think sometimes people sue people. Yes. Yes, they do. Okay. What, what you're going to learn in law school is that people sue over everything. Everything. Yeah. You can't even, she can't even (laughs) get it out of her mouth because it's just like so much. It's infinity, right? Like there's just never ending options. People want to get money from everybody. Yeah. And I think that it, when it boils down to money versus crimi- criminality, well, yeah, you know, people don't want to put people in jail. But people yeah. want you to pay. Yeah. And I think that that's why our court systems could be considered cluttered. But, you know, it gives us jobs. So, yeah, I'm not going to complain. And so our I guess our last main class, which we just started this semester, is criminal law. It is very interesting. It's. Oh. It's not law and order. It's not. I mean, but it is. I mean, I, you know, it's funny that you say that because. When I watch Law & Order, I watch SVU, so it's already, you know, gross. Mm -hmm. But these crimes, they're heinous. They're gross. I mean, they say that on SVU, but it's like, you know, you think like, oh, this is TV. This isn't real, but no. But you're looking at the actual cases, so it's hard to picture it actually. The people behind it. And another thing I've learned about criminal law is that you have to take your emotions out of it. For sure. Because you're reading some horrible things that have happened to people, and if you're going to put your emotion into it, it's not going to end well for you. You're going to you're gonna, not want to. You're going to be really sad. Yeah, you're going to be really sad and, about and, it. And, and you're not going to be wanting to come back to work. Exactly. Yeah. So, I, I think it's also funny, too, because these crimes are things that most normal people don't commit. So I think you have to remind yourself of that and don't get jaded or, like, bogged down and, like, oh, my God, is everyone a rapist yeah, and killer? Yeah, like, do I have to defend everybody who's done, like, it's it not might like even, that. You know, and you don't know what you're going to be doing. You know, maybe you do, the few people out there who know what they're going to be doing. But, you know, we could be prosecutors. We could be defense attorneys. We could be working at a law firm who's defending. You know, you never know where you're going to be. So it's so important to just see both sides. And I think what I've been also been telling myself in criminal law is that we're learning about these specific rules and, you know, these things that tie into the law. And I've been just trying to focus in on what this case has to play for that instead of focusing on this kid, this man raped a seven-year-old girl. Like, I just can't handle that, right? It's nice, too, because we're learning about case law, which is law made from cases that the judicial system essentially um, interprets from statutes which are made by the legislator. Just want to add that in. (laughs) But Nerd alert. (laughs) But... The criminal law system is where you, it's the big bad crimes, you know. These are the things that people need to be punished for. This is what, when you think of law, you think of this. Yeah, I think a lot of people going into law school or even just thinking about it think lawyers are the people in the court with the criminals. Law and, and order, just like yeah, you said. Yeah, like law and order. And it is like that, but... I think it may deter some people from thinking further than that, that there's so many other different kinds of jobs you can get as a lawyer. Also, I think we should note this. We can talk about one class. This is one class about criminal. 
we just talked about four or five classes that were about civil. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Yeah. And I think it's because criminal law is definitely set out by the states. You know, if you don't do this, you know, you ha- you fall into these things. But civil law can go anywhere. Businesses are everywhere. With the, the world we live in now, just like you said, when you're shopping online, what does that mean? So I think, yes, exactly what you just said. Don't let criminal law deter you. I think that's something we had to remind ourselves of because... We went to the court and we saw some crazy things and I was just like horrified and I'd always wanted to do criminal law. I think it's important. Someone has to do it. I think good prosecutors are important and yeah, it was scary. Yeah. But don't let that deter you because like there are so many other different ways you can be a good lawyer and you don't have to work with criminals if you don't have like want to. Exactly. And I want to add this too, is that just because you're scared at the first time you see something doesn't mean that it's not for you. I think that that says something about you. I think it says like, okay, I definitely don't think that this is right. And someone told me, Haley, do you want to represent people who just argue about a bunch of things? Or do you want to represent someone who doesn't have a voice and who can't speak for themselves? For instance, children like the seven year old girl. And I was like, Oh my God, did they read my personal statement? Like, do they know me? Are they looking into my life? Like, and it was interesting because that's why they did it. That's what he was telling me his own reasoning. And I was like, oh my gosh, like maybe I should just take a step back, take my emotions out of it. Don't get so freaked out. Focus on the positive. Yeah. I mean, there's times there's, in our class yeah. where we're just sitting there like, this is so weird. Why are we talking about it? It gets uncomfy. Yeah. Everyone's just like, ooh, like gross. Yeah, because you're just talking about really nasty crimes. And I think that it's interesting. I think we're going to learn a lot in that class. And it's just going to be a whole... I'm, essentially, we're diving into a whole other facet of law. And I think that that's why I enjoy it so much. Yeah. So one of the things that our law school offers is a legal analysis class. So... Not every law school has classes like this, but ours does. And that is basic. It's a class where you learn how to tackle an exam question, ways to study more effectively, um, you know, mental health, how to deal with your life in general when you're feeling so stressed that you don't want to get out of bed. Go get help. Like, these are the kind of things that they let us know about. Also, like, financial aid, loans, how to save money. Like, it's... And it's more like a... Like a homeroom. I kind of think of sometimes, like... I think it's a good place for us... For them to talk to all of us together. We can't really miss it. And I think they do that on purpose. And they dive into topics and they make us take practice exams because they know, like... That's the last thing we're thinking about, especially right now. Like, we're just trying to figure out what this means, you know? So, I think it's a really good class for us. I know a lot of us are just, like... We dread it at times. Don't get me wrong, but... Just like LRW, whenever I dread it, I know it's good for me. So I try to keep that in mind. Yeah. So we just finished with everything regarding classes, but in, there's a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so this is why but we don't want to bore you too much. We don't want to bore you too much, but we just have to get it out of the way. Like I said, this episode is going to be very different than anything we're posting. Yeah. Because it's an important one. We want to give context. So the here we just have a little bit more terminology. Yeah, and we'll go quick through this. We yeah, won't this give you such a long yeah. explanation. So often from a lot of people who don't know much about law school, I hear, oh, like what year are you? Right? Yeah. I'll be like, first year or 1L. And they're like, what? Okay, 1L. A freshman? And yeah, they're like, like, no. They don't know. And then they will be like, oh, you're an L1. 
or something like that. That's a common I said one. that before. Yeah, so like L1. going back to the negligence. And statement. my mom still says L one, but yeah. it's it's fine. So basically, a one L, two L, three L is a first year, second, third year law student. It's easy to say it. It's easy to categorize. It's someone you meet. Someone they're like, oh, I'm a two L. Easy, bam. Out you know what it you means. Know, yeah, you know what it means. Or second year. It just makes it easier to communicate with people throughout the law school. Yeah, and it's just one of those like once again inside trading tips. Once I guess you start you saying say. it, you won't. You won't ever go back. No. Yeah. And I think I like you said your mom said L one, and I was like, oh, my friend was like, oh, honey, it's one L, and I was like, oh, this is awkward. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, and but, it happens, you know. Yeah. yeah. So another term which we've been recently, you know, going through and dealing with is OCI, on-campus interviews. So this is for 1Ls and 2Ls. It's really big for 2Ls because you're 2L summer, you want to work and get paid. But uh, 1Ls also can interview for positions at these firms, and they're, you know, fewer and far between, of course. But these organizations around town or even around other cities that want to pull from our law school come to campus and interview us um, for a week. So they come, you know, it's obviously not a full week interview. You have 15 minute spurts, but they have, you have opportunity to interview with them for the entire week, whether it be, you know, you want to interview with five firms or two, but also they have a say in who can interview with them. So it's kind of like a mutual selection process and you go through applications they say okay Haley I want you to come here and I say okay I want to interview with them and then we meet up that week on on on-campus interviews and we talk and we see if it might be a fit and I think it's really important to know that like there's going to be a lot of opportunities at our school there's multiple opportunities for on-campus interviews you know some of them are going to be grade-based some of them aren't I think it's important to apply to the ones that really resonate with you don't just shotgun approach it and yeah, do some research on them as well because I know that's all we heard was do research on the firm, do research on the organization, don't look stupid, you know. So I think on-campus interviews is a really great thing that they do for us and it makes it easy for us to interview with really good businesses and firms. Mm-hmm. I agree. I couldn't have said it any better. Um, one of the cool programs that is offered in our state, so we're in Oklahoma, um, and not every state has this program. I actually think we're one of the only states that has it, yeah. which is the LLI program, so Licensed Legal Intern. Basically, you get to, if you've taken a certain amount of classes in law school and you have the graduating GPA. I think the requirement is evidence, so make yeah, there's like well. yeah, yeah, you're too well, you have to take, a, you know, there's a few classes that you need to make sure you've taken, and then you get to go take a little test, and then get to basically practice under a supervising attorney yes so it's really cool you get to go into the court you get to actually you know represent people yeah you're a lawyer pretty much like a tiny little lawyer yeah (laughs) Um, so it's really cool that uh, Oklahoma offers that but I think it's I really do think it's cool that Oklahoma Supreme Court did that because I mean it makes sense Mm -hmm. also I think it gets law students to stay in Oklahoma I think that's a good idea for them I think also like We've talked about this before, um, the legal field being too oversaturated. And I feel like this is kind of a cry for help in a sense, right? Of them being like, we need more people. Mm-hmm. SOS. Like, bring these kids. Please stay. Please bring these kids in and let them work for us right now because we need them. Mm-hmm. You know, I think even before we graduated and passed the bar, I think that that is really um, interesting that they did that. So once yeah. we or 2Ls and we start getting into this stuff, like, we'll have a lot more to talk about it. Right now, we don't 
We don't really know anyone. Yeah. And people at the DA's office have asked me, like, oh, are you going to be an LLI? And I, I'm like, well, I'm not there yet. So I think a lot of people around here look for that. They want you to be that. They know that you've passed and that you've reached a certain standard. I think it's good, too, when you get ready to pass the bar. You've, I think courtroom experience is something we just don't get in real courtroom experience. It's not like moot court or mock trial, like being in there with people who don't give a crap about you and they're gonna like let you have it i think that that is good um so surely you've heard us say brief cases before and we're gonna keep this pretty short because once you get to law school they'll talk they're gonna teach you exactly how to do it Mm -hmm. and it would be pretty hard for us to teach you how to do it over a microphone yeah but also i want to make one note i think people have said like oh well your school might do it different or you're da 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 that's not true i don't think that's true i think it's all the same so what we're about to tell you like it's just it's just the basic yeah and i think if you want to do any work i know they tell you not to read beforehand but any kind of reading that you're doing i think you know whenever you're studying for the lsat reading comprehension is a huge thing this is why if you can find out these you know find the issue that they're trying to talk about or you know these facts you know that they're Mm -hmm. i mean i can't think of like a regular novel what you would be trying to find but things like that is reading comprehension this is where it plays into part yep so the first part of a brief so when when we're saying briefing we're talking about you're reading a case and you're dissecting it and you're taking out these specific parts um so it's easy for you to understand you can put this in your outline this is great for when you're gonna get cold called as we talked in our previous episode so you always start off with the facts of the case just what happened who hurt who who did Samantha what? punched Haley and yeah. now we're in court. Yeah, you know, I mean, exactly. it could be as simple as that. Sometimes it's going to be like three pages yeah, long sometimes because... there's a million facts, but usually it's pretty short. You just get to the meat of it. Meat of it, yeah. yeah. Then you're going to look for the issue, which is, it's a question for the court. Yes, that's exactly what I'd say. The it's issue a... is the question for the court. Yep. What is the court trying to decide? I think no one ever told me, what is the court trying to decide is the issue? Yes. No that. <laughs> so example, if, if, if we're going to go with the hypothetical that... Haley punched Sam. Mm-hmm. It would be whether Haley had intent, yeah, or something for like a tort that, crime, you know. Yeah. And that's the question that the court has to come up with. Yeah, and as things answer. move up, or you know, things get appealed, court cases get appealed, or go on and so forth, the issue might change, mm-hmm. and the law that they're trying to define might change. So you got to keep that in mind, as it's not always going to be the same. And then you go into the holding and reasoning. So the holding is what the court decided. Easy to and dismiss, then, or, yeah, or like affirm. dismissed. Oh. Or, you know, remanded, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then reasoning is why the court came to that decision. So usually the reasoning is before the holding. Holding is usually very easy to find. We hold. Yeah, they say we hold or the court held. Easy to find. And then the reasoning is usually above that or below, depending. And the reasoning can honestly, if you think of IRAC, which is issue, rule, application, conclusion, it's an application. They're putting their reasoning of why they're deciding what they decide in their reasoning. I mean, in their uh, application. So you might get some, and every judge or clerk, whoever's writing this, writes different. So some might write, you know, fact, then application, fact, then application. Some might just give you all their, their you know, ideas of what they're tying into and say, these are this is why we don't think that. So as you, get, as you read, you know, after your first semester, you'll be so good at reading cases. You'll just fly through it. But... You just have to look at these different aspects of what these writers are doing. Maybe, you know, look at who is writing the opinion. Is it a Supreme Court justice? How do they usually write? Yep. 
Um, and then the last part that's really important. This is what you are taking out of the case. This is what you are looking on your outline and you go, rule, what case was it? So the rule. Um, the rule is, you know, the rule of the case. So it could be, for example, what murder is, the elements of murder. I think it's the rule is the law. I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, it is. And I think that that is what is compiled and applied. And the rules can be anything from procedural to matter Spelling of fact. Out, yeah. yeah, and things like that. And I think it's also really interesting because that's what that's what you have to boil it all down to. That's what you're trying to know. Like, okay, this case is this rule and these rules apply to these kind of facts. So then when you go and take your essay exam at the end of the semester, you're trying to apply the facts that your teacher gave you to a rule that you remember from class, then you just cite the case that that went with. Yeah, and some teachers don't even like you to cite the case. So you literally just got to know, like, oh, these rules go with these facts, and I'm putting it together here, and I'm making it happen. That's all you, you know. So That's really all you have to really yeah. know how to do. Exactly. I and mean, of course, it's way more complicated than we that. Made that. You know, I think it's funny because my dad always made this joke about tiger woods being like oh he makes it look so easy and it's like if someone makes it look really easy it means it's really hard and i think that that's like legal writing you know legal all of this is that man those attorneys they get up there they look so good they argue so well they make it look so easy and Long then you're behind work yeah behind and, you're, it. and years 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 of practice i think you know every overnight success took 10 years so I mean, our careers, you know, when we're baby, tiny attorneys, like you were saying, it's we're going to have to build up that rapport. We're going to have to build up the confidence and trial and error. You know, you have to practice saying something to a jury or saying something to your client and it might not go well. What do I do next time? And I think all of that really like comes into play. But one thing I wanted to talk about was something called Black Laws Dictionary. And I, this goes into tie with the rules is that this is something that holds all the rules. And it's specifically about you know supreme court obviously holds precedent to all state courts as well so this pulls in a lot of those but that the black law is what you'll use for the bar the -hmm. black law is what you'll be tested over so it's law on its face yes and so and it's no no context behind it which is what we use whenever we learn a common law or case law and that's where the rules tie in so I think that that's important to make that connection right there is that the rules are important, just like you're saying, and they come into play in another part of your life and people put them all compiled together. So there's no reason to like, oh my God, I got to write these down in like a Rolodex or something. No, don't be crazy. No. But like, you'll know. And then as you go through, you'll learn these things. And when you get ready to take the bar, you'll go over it again and you'll learn them more and even more to tell. So, and we will put the online Black's Law Dictionary um, in the description so you can just save it to the top of your bookmarks on your computer because yeah. it's so easy you just click it search whatever you need to look need up to look up yeah so getting into researching rules obviously we talked about the context behind what we're learning the rules and all of this context is going to be in a case book which is a thick book with a ton of cases and analysis and everything that you need in that class but they're very very expensive they're essentially your textbook yeah so your casebook is great that's your main source of information throughout the semester but if you are struggling to understand a concept a great way to learn that concept is through a horn book so a horn book is a book that makes the law 
a little easier to understand. Yeah. And I think also you were going to say dumb it down. There are some that dumb it down. Yeah. I think there are others that just teach it in a different way. And I think that sometimes you might not be understanding what your professor is saying. That doesn't mean that the professor doesn't know what they're talking about or that they're not smart or they're not the best teacher. You might just need it explained to you in a different way. You might not connect. You might just not like we're talking about learning styles. Like it might just not be working. So it's on you as the law student to go out and do more work and do more research and figure out what you don't know. Just like I was saying before, you have to be real with yourself and know, like, I know the subject or I don't. And horn books are the best way to really solidify those concepts. But there's also other kinds of supplements. And there's Quimby, for example, which I don't know. I mean, I love Quimby, right? But I think that the best way to use it, because um, it's it, it's case briefs, essentially, and it, it's um, they have videos on explaining cases and topics yeah and i think that the best way to use quimby is brief your own case first and then if you're still struggling then go to a supplement like quimby yeah actually i do that opposite but i mean i think you could i mean that's just like interesting that you say that because i go to quimby or see if there's a video i always watch the video because it gives me context and it just like helps me honestly kind of get interested in what i'm about to read or i'll read the facts and I just kind of get like understanding of like, okay, so today we're going to be talking about property lines, you know, and oh, this girl did this and it's really bad, you know, and that's like, oh, now I kind of want to know what happened. And it gives you that better understanding either way you do it of what's going on. I think the point from that is that you can't just usually read a case and like just understand it because some of these cases are written so long ago that it's not even in modern time writing. So you're just like, what does that mean? I don't get it. And I think Quimby, oh yes, whatever you use, Barbary is another good mm-hmm. one. I know we use Barbary a even, ton during um, finals. Westlaw, like they Yeah, Lexus too. as well. They yeah. have briefs as well. I think just getting, sometimes if you just don't understand it, don't be afraid to go look for more and be like, oh, I'm not supposed to get on these things. Like, no, that's outside research is one of the key things that make you successful in law mm-hmm. school. I agree. Other things that can make you successful in law school, in my opinion, the most important way is having a study group. Yeah. Um, I think it's really important to have a study group. Number one, because it keeps you accountable. Okay. If multiple people are counting on you to do one thing, be like, there. You're gonna, you're gonna Just do be it. Be there. How about yeah. that? Like, I think if yeah. someone's <laughs> like, "Hey, where are you?" Like, "Oh crap, my people are looking for me." You know. It's going to be hard to answer to be like, I just didn't want to come. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's a great way to, like when we're dissecting cases, it's great to review it with everybody and get a different perspective that you may not have caught in the case. Well, I think there's so many times, and even this semester I've noticed, where we will be wrong. One of us will be wrong. wrong. Yeah. And it's, if it weren't for the other people to sit there and honestly give a shit and tell them like, what's up? Like... And not even in a mean way. I think some of the best conversations that we've had as a group are us, like, talking about it and be like, no, I think it's this. And it's like, but I swear, right here, it says this. And I never, I I try not to be aggressive. Like, you're wrong. But, (laughs) no, like, listen, I promise I read this. And sometimes, you know, you're so sure. And they really tell you, like, no, Haley, that's not right. And it's like, oh, my God, I'm so happy you're here. Uh, You're right. This isn't a year. You know, I think that's the funniest one that we had recently was contracts and the statute of frauds and thinking like, oh, this means a year or this has to be under a year. Yeah. And, you know, and then whenever John comes in the next day, he's telling us it and we're like, no, we swear. Yeah. We got all those questions wrong. We swear it's this. And he's like, oh my God, you're right. Like, (laughs) you know, it's funny because it's easily confusable. Yeah. So I think. And I mean, some people don't work well with a study group. 
I think it's you should try it. If it doesn't work out for you, you don't have to be in a study group. Yeah. Know that because then people truly do work better by themselves. I think our approach last semester was spending a lot, a lot, a lot of time together. Mm-hmm. And this semester, we're just making a conscious effort to read more on our own and get less distracted. And so far, it's worked pretty well. I think, too, my goal for this semester was to be more independent in general. And I think that that has come into play with this situation. Just, in, you know, not independent in the sense, like, I don't like them, but independent so that I know that I know the material. Exactly, because sometimes your study group can be a crutch. You don't want to rely on their knowledge to get you through the semester. And then when it comes to the exam, like... They're not what there. do you actually they can't take the exam with you Mm-mm. so that's a really important way to approach it in my opinion um, we're really different people and I think we come from different backgrounds and different states I think it's cool because we all have these different insights and we all want to do you know slightly different things and we're all good at different things so it really brings that in to be successful for a group of people Yep, I totally agree. Those are some of the positives. Obviously, the negatives would be not doing work together and yeah, wasting I mean, time. So we've had focus a few on that. Different experiences with study groups. You have to be really wise with you know who you decide to study with, and sometimes it's just not going to work out, and that's fine. Uh, but you kind of have to learn what works for you. So if one person isn't bringing you know what you need to the table, then you just have a conversation with them and. You know, you have to look out for yourself. I also think it's important to lay out expectations. Mm-hmm. I mean, with any relationship, and this is just another one, you're going to be spending so much time with them. I think it's important. I know we had a lot of talks um, last semester about communicating and telling each other what we really mean and don't let things slip under the rug because that's how resentment comes. And I think that it's really important to talk about those things and be upfront and open. I think vulnerability with a study group is so important because you're going to feel stupid and you're going to feel dumb, but these people love you. And I think that's important. And we'll probably have an episode that is all about study groups. Cause there's a yeah. lot more than what we're telling you now. And it let us know what it, you want to hear about. Yeah. And, it, and it, it's a lot more complicated than it can. It should be sometimes. Yes. I think it can be complicated for sure. But we're going to end it with our favorite part about law school. In my opinion, which would be a Facebook group oh. <laughs> that we're in. The funniest part of law school, shall we say. The funniest part of law school, even though it is sometimes so depressing to see. But, it's, but it, so, it's, it hits you right in the heart. It's so relatable that it just makes you laugh. Because it, it's like this, the Facebook group that we're talking about is definitely inside jokes for law students. And I know that there are things on there where you're like, oh my God, this is so funny. And then no one else thinks it's funny you know the group's name is law school memes for edgy t14s we'll also put that link below but there's seventy-five thousand people in this group so not only are they law students but they're practicing attorneys or people who have gone to law school or Or recent grads or or recent grads or even people who are about to go to law school Mm -hmm. so we just really recommend it it's a great thing it makes me laugh every day it's a, it's a good comic relief. It's a good comic relief, especially when, um, for example, 1Ls, most schools are kind of on the same schedule. Mm-hmm. So seeing that someone from Harvard is posting and they're going through the same thing as you, like, 
feeling down, feeling stressed, but you know, doesn't know what this case is about. Like, like me neither, bro. Yeah, just like, very it's relatable. Very relatable. And I think that during over the break, there were a lot of times we were sending memes back and forth to each other. Or and I know whenever I came back, I was like excited to be back with people who would think the memes were funny with me too. So add your study group in there add your friends that are in law school if they don't go to the same school they're across the country you know let us know if you want to be added in there dm us on instagram we'll put you in the group like it's hilarious it's the best it's it's something that will definitely add a light to a dark day (laughs) yes for sure i know we're hyping it up but it really deserves to be hyped hyped up. up so free shout out to them to edgy 14 <laughs> memes we love you <laughs> <laughs> we should get merch that yeah there. big supporters of edgy t14s edgy t14s stands only well guys thanks for tuning in today we hope that this episode was all that you could have imagined with so much information i know it's a little bit longer thanks for sticking around if you have any more questions please let us know yep and there's going to be a blog post that's going to go along with this episode that might go into a little bit more depth than what we were able to talk about today and just cover what we did talk about in case you're like wait can i just see this written down and we'll have all the different like links that you can you know visit and all the kind of stuff that would help you and that we covered today and yeah what we covered so make sure to follow us on our instagram at ladies who law school podcast also follow us on facebook and facebook and check out our website that's where the blog post is going to be and we are on apple and spotify now so make sure to tell your friends or your law school buddies your study group take a screenshot post it on your story tag us maybe you'll get a little shout out from us yeah but um don't forget to rate and subscribe guys thanks again subscribe